Please turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, we've reached the final chapter of our series on John's Gospel. And this morning, we're looking at John chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. Jesus appeared to his apostles at the Sea of Galilee. Jesus appeared to his apostles at the Sea of Galilee. What we have in those verses is the Lord Jesus Christ appearing to some of his apostles, not all of them there. And we're told in verse 1 that the disciples were at the Sea of Tiberias. Now, according to chapter 6 and verse 1, that is the Sea of Galilee. It's probably more familiar to most of us here, the Sea of Galilee. It's one and the same. Initially, the apostles did not recognise Jesus on the seashore. Furthermore, despite the apostles having already seen the Saviour and already having been told that Jesus would meet them at Galilee, they clearly were not expecting to see him and they were taken by surprise. Even though they had been told that he would meet with them in Galilee, it's clear in these verses they were taken by surprise. How often that is the case with Christians. You can be so preoccupied with work or pleasure or whatever that Jesus is simply not in your thoughts. Let's be honest about this. That is very unfortunate when you consider that the delight of the man who is blessed is to meditate on God's law and on his law does he meditate day and night. And Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness to all who believe. So we really ought to be meditating upon Jesus if we think about him. And I do believe that even when we're busy with other stuff, God has wired us up in such a way that we can think about Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Ultimately, that is a description of Jesus. He is true, he is noble, he is just, he is pure, he is lovely, and he is praiseworthy. We are to meditate on him. And when we meditate upon Jesus, we're not taken by surprise, as the apostles were. I like what the hymn writer said, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus asked his apostles if they had any food. In other words, if they had caught anything and they said no. Jesus then told them to cast their net on the other side of the ship. They did so and their net was filled with fishes. 
They had no idea that it was Jesus speaking to them. And we can only speculate as to why that was the case. Maybe they were too far out from land to be able to see Jesus, although they weren't far out. Maybe it was still dark, as it was in chapter 20 and verse 1, when Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene outside the tomb. And at first she thought she'd seen the gardener. Maybe they couldn't see Jesus because there was a a, a mist on the sea. We're not told and therefore we don't know. However, one thing that we can be sure about and that is that those men were not meant to see Jesus straight away. Neither was one single fish ever going to get caught in the disciples' net during the night that has just passed. These things were meant to be as they were. With the disciples not seeing Jesus at first and the disciples having an empty net. I used to like going fresh water fishing in my local park when I was a teenager, but I wasn't very good at fishing and most of the time I'd go home having caught nothing at all. If a stranger had come along and told me that I was fishing in the wrong place and that I might be better off going on the other side of the lake, I would have probably taken his advice on board and uh, and done what he'd said because I would have acknowledged I haven't got a clue what I'm doing and he probably knows more than I know about fishing. However, if I was a competent fisherman, a professional fisherman, shall we say, and a stranger had come along to me and said, you'd be better off fishing on the other side of the lake, I probably wouldn't have listened to him. I would have probably said, thank you very much, and done nothing, because I'm the expert. What we have in our passage are professional fishermen who had been out all night long and they'd caught nothing at all. A stranger on the seashore instructed them to cast their net on the other side of the boat as if that would make any difference. You know, no no fish on the side that they've been casting their net all night long and fish on the other side of the boat the stranger was talking to professional fishermen. Surprisingly, I would say surprisingly, they listened to the stranger and they did what the stranger instructed them to do, even though they were the experts. What does that tell you? It shows you just how powerful the word of God is. It's so powerful that in chapter 11, verse 43 and 44, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And sure enough, Lazarus rose from the dead. On that occasion, a dead body that had begun to stink obeyed the voice of Jesus. No wonder that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, It is written that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. 
No wonder that when Jesus said, cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find, the apostles did precisely that. Even though they did not know that it was Jesus speaking to them, and even though they were the fishermen, As for the catch of fish that followed, that was nothing less than a miracle. I trust you can see that. It wasn't just Jesus having some special insight into uh, the flow of the water and the and the, where the fish would be swimming at that particular time of day and all the rest of it. It was a miracle, the likes of which we can only be amazed by as we consider that the incarnate creator God who was standing on the seashore, directed those fish, all 153 of them, to swim into the net. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 17, when the Apostle Peter was being challenged about whether his master paid tribute or whether he paid the taxes, the temple tax. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 27, Jesus said to Peter, Go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that money, give it to them, from me and from you. I've often thought about what happened in that miracle, what happened next. For example, did Jesus wait until Peter caught the fish and then use his divine power to somehow put a coin into that fish's mouth? Or did Jesus perhaps miraculously put a coin into the fish's mouth before Peter caught it and then he directed that fish to Peter's hook? Or did a fish with a coin in its mouth just miraculously come into existence on Peter's hook. Who knows? As as amazing as it was, what we have here in John chapter 21 is perhaps 153 times more amazing. People try to find all manner of significance in the number 153. There were 153 fishes in the net but for me it's amazing enough to think that Jesus who was standing on the seashore commanded not one fish but precisely 153 of them to swim into that net a net that had been empty all night long or could it be that those 153 fishes just miraculously came into existence in that net I don't know All I do know is that I've got two goldfish at home swimming around in a tank. They don't do a thing that I tell them to do. They ignore me. The only time they acknowledge my existence is when I'm putting food into their tank. And that's about it. But somehow, the Lord Jesus Christ, he caused 153 fishes to be in a net that had been empty all night long. You've just got to think about the miracles of Jesus. There's no harm in doing that. And I do. I think about his miracles. I'm not scared to think about them. 
I enjoy thinking about them and it makes me more and more amazed at my saviour. For example, do you ever think about the, uh, the first recorded miracle in John's Gospel? The first recorded miracle of Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding feast? Have you thought about that one? I often think about that one. And not just any old wine, not some cheap stuff from ShopRite. It was the very best wine. He turned water into the very best wine immediately. There wasn't any process of fermentation or anything else. Or what about the feeding of the multitude? 5,000 men and then you've got their wives and their children, a lot of people. And Jesus fed those people with some bread and, uh, or five loaves rather, five barley loaves and two small fishes. That bread, those fishes, they just multiplied and multiplied. And after the multitude had been fed, there was more left over than there was to start with. The disciples filled up 12 baskets full of fragments afterwards. Work that one out. Obviously, it's a miracle. That's the answer. But it should, it should make you think about not so much the miracle, but the miracle man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've already seen, we saw last week, these things are written, referring to the miracles. John said, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you might have life in his name. Think about what Jesus did. Think about what he said. Be amazed and fall prostrate before him and worship him acknowledging that he is God and he is worthy to be praised, to be adored. Receive him as your Lord and as your saviour from sin. The miracle man who gave himself to wicked men to be nailed to a cross for people like us. Something similar to what we read here in John chapter 21 happened on another occasion. I read it earlier at the first reading. Luke chapter 5, it has details of Jesus saying to Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch, whereupon Peter said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. It's a different occasion, but the same kind of thing happening here. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. The disciple whom Jesus loved, John, had been there on that occasion in Luke chapter 5 and maybe that experience came to his mind and it caused him to realise and to say, it is the Lord. That's what he said in John chapter 21 and verse 7. John was the first to recognise it is the Lord. 
Also in verse 7, we see that one of the apostles, when he heard John say, it is the Lord, he put on his fisherman's coat and he leapt into the sea to swim to Jesus. Now, anyone who knows anything about Peter would probably have guessed that it would be him that would do such a thing. The others stayed in the boat, but not Peter. He cast himself in the sea, having put his fisherman's coat on and swum to the shore. The same kind of thing happened in Matthew chapter 4, when the disciples were on board a ship and Jesus went out to them walking on the sea. At first the disciples were fearful. They thought they were looking at a ghost until Jesus spoke to them. And then one of the disciples, no prize for guessing who, said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And what happened next was Peter stepped out of the boat and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. However, he became afraid and he cried out, Lord, save me. And as he began to sink, Jesus reached out and caught hold of him and saved him. Coming back to today's passage, A.W. Pink said it was love which here made him, that's Peter, impatient to reach Christ. As it was when Jesus was on that boat and he called, he said, Lord, if it be thou bid me come unto thee on the water desperately wanted to be with Jesus and it was because of his love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though Peter will inevitably be remembered partly for his cowardly denials of the Lord Jesus Christ, he must surely be remembered most of all for his great love for Jesus and for his desire to be close to him, all of which was clearly seen when he walked on the water to be with Jesus and when he cast himself into the sea here in John chapter 21 and verse 7. Like Peter, we all fail miserably and if it were not for God's saving grace and his sustaining grace, none of us would have an interest in the Saviour's blood. Don't kid yourself, Christian, that you would give Jesus a thought if it was not for God's sustaining grace. That said, do you have a love for Jesus and a genuine desire to draw close to him and to be with him when you die or when he comes again? Is that your great desire, to be close to Jesus? Or have you got other plans for when you get to heaven? A time of catching up with people and doing this, that and the other? Or is it to behold the glory of Jesus? To bow down before him and to worship him? And what about now? Never mind when you die or when Jesus comes again. What about now? You may be someone who made a profession of faith in Jesus some time ago and you may be baptised whenever it was that, that that happened. But do you experience and do you enjoy a close communion with Jesus and with brothers and sisters in Christ? 
for example, at the Lord's Supper and privately in your home. On a regular basis. With regards to that net full of fish, not for the first time, Jesus was showing his apostles and us how he supplies the bodily and spiritual needs of his redeemed. As the Apostle Paul said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God supplies all our needs in Christ Jesus. Similarly, when Jesus turned the water into the very best wine at a marriage feast, those water pots, they weren't filled halfway, they were filled to the brim with that, perf- that very best wine, filled to the brim. And when it comes to your spiritual need, those of you who have repented, trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you have received from God out of the storehouse of his mercy and grace every spiritual blessing, not just some, but every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Blessings such as pardon for sin, a peace with God that endures, everlasting life and a heavenly inheritance. Most of all, as those who belong to Jesus will testify, the greatest gift of all, the greatest blessing of all, is Jesus as your Lord and your Saviour from sin. As David said in Psalm 23, my cup runneth over, or my cup overflows. God fills us to overflowing with his grace when we belong to Jesus. Finally, earlier on I referred to Luke chapter 5 to another occasion when Jesus performed a miracle with a catch of fish. I'd like to finish with a thought from what took place in Luke chapter 5. Peter fell down at his knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Having seen that miracle performed by Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Are you affected by the word of God? Are you affected by those miracles that um, that point to Jesus being the Messiah, the Christ, the promised Christ who was to come into the world, the Christ, the Son of God? Peter was right to fall down at the knees of Jesus and in saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, he rightly rightly acknowledged that he as a sinful man had no business being in the presence of such pure and perfect holiness. However, instead of saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, what you would need to do, if you haven't already done so, is pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And not say, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, but receive Jesus as your saviour from sin. Amen.